Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Um, it's an exciting time because we've got our first, first oh Christ, I can't even speak, that's how excited I am, first pay-per-view of uh, 2024 uh, coming up for UFC. 297 and mm-hmm. uh, one with uh, bad blood, I think would be an understatement between uh, Strickland and Duplessis given the little scrap we had at the last uh, event before the new year. You where, say this, uh, but did you did you see the little handshake that they did that were recorded and posted online? And they were like, oh, there's not really bad blood here. And I'm like, what? Both of them are the type of guys that take shit personal, man. Like, yeah. you know, they are, I don't believe that for a second. And Strickland likes to run his mouth. Duplessis, he's been less... Harsh in the build-up to Strickland than I feel like he would have been against Adesanya because obviously there was the whole bit with Adesanya, wasn't he, that he was going to be, I'm going to be the first real African champion that's going to bring the belt back to Africa and live in Africa, you know, etc. But it's it, uh outstanding fight, I think, to start. You, you probably wouldn't have said this a year ago. This is one of those fights that's that, that, that's come out of nowhere given the performance that Strickland put on against Adesanya. Yeah. I mean, um, we'll see. You were right in terms of the alleged blood blood. I think with UFC 296, one of they were scrapping in crowd, which were quite funny to watch. Less of a scrap, more of a Strickland asking a child and wife a mother, to move out uh, of the way. Which is respectful bad blood. You can't, you can't hate that. He's <laughs> like, look, I don't want your kid to get involved in this melee. And I, I didn't see it. And I, I, I rewatched it loads of times. But Strickland admitted, didn't he, that he bit Duplessis. Did you see this? Oh, no, I didn't yeah, see he, that. He, he admitted that he tried to, or that he did bite him somewhere, but it seemed, I, I couldn't actually see that in the footage. But so you've got Strickland as the champ, 28 and 5 record um, against Duplessis, number two challenger, 22 and 2. <sighs> I don't know about you, I think this might be a short lived reign for Strickland. My money's on Duplessis. We're going into it with even odds. I had a check on this just before we started. Um, both, you know, the typical 10 to 11, um, can't make a decision, blah, blah, blah. So the only one that wins is the bookies. Exactly. exactly. Classic. I don't think it's as close as is being made out. And I would tend to agree with what you've said. I think that Duplessis takes this. I don't. The way that I've put it together is essentially I, I I don't want to understate Strickland as a fighter and I cannot help but have in the back of my mind Duplicis' cardio because in recent fights against Brunson and Till, he looked as though he gassed out very quickly and I know that he had said he'd had this nose surgery which has fixed those breathing problems and that he's absolutely fine. But the last person that you want to go up against with questionable cardio is Strickland. We saw that he constantly walked down Adesanya and kept on that pain at uh, that pace until obviously it ended up with a stoppage. Well, uh, almost a stoppage. Um, with Duplicis, though, all I can think is it is an absolutely unbelievable finisher and going back to Util, um, going back to Robert Whitaker, prime example, if he catches Duplicit, if he catches Strickland, sorry, in the same way that Pereira catch, uh, caught him, 
he's going to absolutely lay him out. And I'm going to go on a li- out on a limb here and say that Duplicis not only knocks him out, he does it in the first round. Because I think Duplicis will be scared of gassing out, so much so he will try to immediately end this fight. Well, well I've got in my notes that I, I think Duplicis will finish him. I think Strickland, as much as he's underrated, I can't help but feel that he put on the performance of a lifetime in the Adesanya. It's the equivalent of a, a Ganacho or a Patrick Bamford goal. In the, <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if, he, if he did that fight a hundred times, one out of a hundred, is he going to put on that level of performance, if you ask me? Now, I could be, we could be massively underrating him here. Duplessis is by far and away the second biggest middleweight I've ever seen in terms of pure size and weight cut after Poetang. So I think he's up against a huge, huge guy and his game is so well-rounded. Strickland undoubtedly has the advantage in, in, in the pure stand-up of boxing, but this is not a boxing fight. Duplicis can, can throw bombs. He's got absolutely superb takedowns in jiu-jitsu. Um, as you say, if he had a weakness, it would be cardio. And if he, obviously it's a title fight, so it's a five-rounder. If Strickland can take him into deep waters, you never know, he might be able to eke out a decision. But I don't know if he, Strickland has got the power to put Duplicis away in the five rounds. So the only way I can personally see Strickland winning is by decision. If he puts on an Adesanya-esque performance again and surprises us all. But I think Duplicis comes out of this smelling the roses. And if I was Duplicis, I'd fancy my chances all day. Yeah, it's an important fight for Strickland, not just because he's defending his title and clearly he wants to retain that, but also because a lot of people in the same way that you've just said there, and I... I'd have to agree uh, because I haven't seen anything to throw that off yet. And, and this is why it's such an important fight for him. But a lot of people think that the Adesanya fight was a flash in the pan. It was the perfect Strickland. It's the only time he's ever been perfect. And Adesanya had an off day as well, which all helped with it. It was a fantastic victory for him and not taking that away from him. And obviously he's the champion for a reason. But I think he's got to be perfect again to take down Duplicis because as I say, all I can think in my mind is that Alex Pereira fight. And I can't remember, was it 2-8, whatever it was. Um, but he got absolutely folded. It was very quick. Um, Strickland tried to push Adesanya back for the majority of the first round and then Pereira catches him and all of a sudden, bang, gone. And that's what I think will happen this time. I think Strickland will come out, talks a big game. He likes to think of himself as a big man. But I think he gets absolutely sparked, and I think he gets sparked in the first. Well, he's definitely got the power, uh, Duplicis. I mean, as I say, he might be the... He's he's nowhere near as technical a striker as Adesanya or Paratang, not even in that league. But in terms of raw power that he brings for that weight class, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's realistically a light heavyweighter. And he'll be another one that, should he do well here and maybe have a couple of title defences undoubtedly in my mind he's going to stop fucking around with a weight cut and go up to, to light heavyweight because he's an absolutely massive guy. He must cut 30 to 40 pounds, I would have thought, to make the 185 limit. And, of course, that, that, that that's a question that you could even say is out there. Is Obviously, we're, we're doing this Thursday night. The weigh-in will be tomorrow. Does he make weight? 
I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's, had, no, he's had no problems. He's had no problems with weight to be, to, you know, to be fair so far. So I wouldn't see that being an issue. But he's a fucking huge guy, apps like ridiculous for that weight weight cut uh, weight uh, class, really. So, um, but may, maybe we're being harsh on Strickland here, and maybe he'll prove us both wrong. But it would appear for a change, we agree. On <laughs> it were unanimous for ones. Um, um, I, I, I'm not quite sure. First round, I've got to be honest. I, I would see round two or three ground and pound, wear him down, take him down, and could even sub surprise. him. Either. It could do what he did to Till. He could sub him. I, I tell you, what, I'm going to. You, you've given a bold prediction. I'm going to give a bold one. Third round, Strickland's corner. Don't let him come out. No, he's taken that much for <laughs> beating. Not a chance in hell. I'll take that bet. I'll put any money that you want on that. No way in hell do his corner stop him from coming out. He's got too much of an ego. And on that, very, very quickly, we'll cover this. We won't want to go into too much detail because it's controversial and certainly not a topic that we want to touch too heavily on. Um, I think Dana White wants him to lose. And I think he wants to Plissis to come out of this uh, as the victor. Because I'm sure you'll have seen, as most people have seen, the controversy that Strickland causes. He's in the headlines again. Uh, I think it was yesterday in this uh, 297 pre-conference, whatever you want to call it. And he just absolutely lost his mind at someone who had mentioned a tweet of his in 2021 about... It was basically a homophobic tweet and slightly sexist. And then he just randomly just went off on this journalist on a proper anti-trans tirade. He was saying um, that if you're an ally of gay people, that you're a problem, you're weak. Um, If you're trans, it's a mental illness. And then he started talking about Bud Light and everything that's happened with UFC. He sat there just thinking, just stop. You're a champion of this country and you have to represent the UFC. Um, And I think at the end, he said something like, I told the UFC I was going to be nice and I probably crossed some lines, but that guy there, you've brought him in just to piss me off. And he didn't really say anything. Um, but UFC can only go so long with having a controversial champion like that. It's not like Conor McGregor where you're getting people thinking, oh, you know, this is a, a controversial guy because he's saying stuff about the other fighters and slamming their wives and doing all this type of thing behind the backs, etc., etc. This is more, I'm just going to be very, very offensive. And, in 2024, you're going to struggle to justify that as a company. See, surprisingly, just after we've agreed, I'm going to disagree with you because I think if there's one boss in the world that you could have that doesn't give a shit what you say or do, anyone else goes off on that. In, in, in the woke world we live in these days, you're in trouble. The one thing I would counter to your point there, which I don't disagree with, and I'm certainly not justifying anything you said, uh, I'm in my new job, so I haven't. I, I've missed anything at that, that press conference, so I haven't seen a single thing he said. But the one thing I love about Dana is, at the end of the day, realistically, he doesn't give two shits what you say, does he? It, it, it's very rarely that you ever hear Dana rebuke somebody for what he says. Dana's he's in the fight game to make money. He knows who he and what he's dealing with, which is you've got to be slightly unhinged to be a fighter full stop because who wants to earn a living by getting punched in the face so i feel like if you're ever going to get a boss that's gonna not 
reprimand you for ridiculous comments that in any other job you'd get fired, Dana White's the boss that you'd want. So as you say, I'm not in any, I don't even know what he said. I've missed that, but I'm certainly not justifying it in any way. But if there's one man I would like to think that gives two shits as long as they put on a good performance and making the pay-per-view bucks, it's Dana. So I, I don't think, I don't disagree that Dana might want him to lose, but I don't think Dana gives a shit what anyone says, if I'm honest with you, because that's just the type of person he is. And some people love that. Some people hate that. Dana's very Marmite. But in today's world, when the most ridiculous thing can be taken the wrong way, you, you've got to take your hat off to Dana just to be like, look, these are these are professional fighters. They get punched in the face. I couldn't give a fuck what they do. Or They're say, all a bit loony. I mean, you have to, let's be honest, you have to be somewhat unhinged to want to get punched in the face for a living. You know, you, you, you get people that are very articulate and that's not to say they're not intelligent or in, in, in any way, but no sane person grows up saying, I want to get the fuck beaten out of me potentially as a, as a job. You know, look at the, Nate, the Diaz. Training, Nate, Nate Diaz is a perfect example of a UFC fire. Yeah says whatever the fuck he wants, just get, you know, and again, they, they roll with that because, it, again, sometimes that in itself builds the hype. So, as I say, not justifying in any way what Strickland said because I haven't even seen that, but if, if there was a boss that I'd fancy that I could go out and say whatever I want and get away with it, Dane is the boss that you want. We've got a co-main event, and it's another title bout as well, and it's a women's bantamweight title. We have Raquel Pennington and Myra Bueno Silva. And it just makes me really want to kind of Bueno, I'll be honest, uh, saying her name. Um, this is an interesting one because Raquel Pennington's current win streak, I think she's got, is it five wins uh, she's currently on? And it, it gets sort of thrown to the wayside. And women's UFC and women's MMA never gets the respect that it deserves anyway. But it's essentially gone largely unnoticed. Um People really don't seem to take that much of an interest in Raquel Pennington, but she's a consistent performer. She's always putting on uh, a very impressive performance when she's there. And obviously she stuck around the UFC for about 10 years. Um, But this is one of those fights that for me, it's all about the passing of the torch and Bueno Silva is the next champion. She has been dominant since she moved up to Bantamweight in 2022. Um, and Pennington, I don't think, has taken on someone of that level of grappling since probably Nunes. Um, six years ago now, is it 2018? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've got to be honest, my, my, my notes, because I've been a bit busy with the new job, are... Less excuses. I'm making excuses already, but isn't it? If I'm not mistaken, is this not a vacant title because of Nunes? Because Pennington's ranked number two and uh, Bruno Silva is number three. Judy Penner is actually ranked number one, but I think the title is vacant from when Amanda Nunes retired. If I'm not mistaken, this is going back on my memory as opposed to notes here. So it's not two versus three in terms of the, the rankings, is a, is a good fight for closeness and, and, and deserving. But my recollection is it's a vacant title. So ne- neither of them is the current title holder. And it's been vacant since Nunes retired and dropped both belts that she had. 
Is that right? You yeah, like yeah, you're correct. Googling. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, um, I mean, Pennington's record on paper, 15 and 9, is a bit deceiving. You know, it's not, you'd say, the greatest, whereas uh, Silver's is 10, 2 and 1, no contest. So, on paper, she has the better record. But as you say, Pennington has been in the UFC longer. She's fought higher opposition for a longer period of time. Um, coin toss is probably doing a disservice to both of their skill sets, but I feel it's a very, very close fight and not one that I would be having a bet on or wanting to call a winner on, particularly if I'm honest with you. Do you think it's that close? Because I, 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 this is uh, a pretty cut and dry Bueno Silva taking it. I think she'll sub her. Um, I, I don't well, that, think that would be the obvious. Bueno Silva, as you say, is, is, is a submission artist, as you imagine, Brazilian. She's going to come with a, a, a tight jiu-jitsu background. Uh, I would agree that that would be the way, that, but I would be putting my money. But if I'm not mistaken, she's stepping up. I think she's a flyweight stepping Correct. up to bantamweight again. Yeah. So. There's there's a little bit of weight difference there. Not so, you know, ten pounds, not a huge amount. But um... she moved up in 2022. So she uh, she's still ranked in flyweight. I think she's. Do you say she's four? Number three, three in flyweight. Three, um, but she stepped up in 2022, and and she's basically just continued this this path of dominance. But she, as I say, I think it's it's just sort of the passing of the torch moment. I think Pennington is one of the best bantamweights in. UFC history. I think she's she's done very, very well at that weight. And as I say, her a win streak at the moment, which I believe is five wins, um, is ignored and isn't given the props that it deserves. But for me, and you're right, it is a vacant belt, but for me, when her silver takes this and takes it quite comfortably, I think she'll be all over her. And I'm gonna say that she takes it in the second or third. As soon as she gets her down, you start fearing for Pennington. Agreed. Definitely, um, that would be that would be the the logical on paper decision, as you say. Unless Pennington, put, you know, put, does a, a Strickland against um, Adesanya performance and pulls something out of the bag, that um, I, I would tend to agree with you that I, I would see Silver winning that by and, and by submission. Um, if it goes the distance, Pennington's a tough, tough lady. You know, she she can hang in there with the best of them and has done. She's lost a few of her fights by decision. So decision, you never know. She she could eke out uh, a 3-2, something very, very close on the decision basis. But if it goes to the floor, then it's it's a different ballgame. I use the phrase pass to the torch, and I think it's probably more apt for this next fight, and that's uh, Neil Magny versus Mike Muller. Um, he... Uh, Mallow has is, is, is obviously been fantastic since... Is it Mallow or is it Mallot? How, how are we... I, you, you know me with the the, the pronunciations, <laughs> I wouldn't like to say, but Mag, Magni, again, I always say it every week, and like we used to have in the in the first 10 or 15 episodes, we said segue every time. I always say gatekeeper. Magni is yeah. not to be slept yeah. on. Magni has beaten some of the very, very best and derailed some hype trains significantly. He is no joke whatsoever. And this is either one where he reestablishes his position as a, you know, mid-tier, well-await someone that beats the majority of people but loses to the elite, or this is a, a breakout party for 
let's say Mallot. Let's uh, say Mike. <laughs> Mike. Let's call him Mike. Yeah. Uh, or he comes out. And the, the one thing that has happened to Magni specifically in the last few fights is he's had a few devastating KOs. So uh, ground game wise, he's he's tight, very, very technical, would not want to end up uh, in, a, in a ground uh, scrap with Magni. But he's also one that's very inconsistent can put on these performances where he beats people that no one expects him to, but lose to people that he's expected to run through. So it's another very, very hard fight to call for me. Mike is unranked, uh, whereas Magni is the number 13 ranked well away. But again, hate to disagree with you, tw- or agree with you twice in the same podcast. It probably feels like a passing the torch moment. And that Magnesia's gatekeeper gets beaten would be my guess. You took ages to say guess then. Um, Magni, you're right, he is a gatekeeper. And you look at how he's been proverbially thrown to the wolves <laughs> the last few years. I mean, For it, sure, uh, mate, honestly, look, look at his Gary. record, who he's fought. Like, but look at who he, he has fought. The elite of the elite at Welterweight, the, the people he's lost to, there is absolutely no shame in. Let me give you three of them. So, three here Gilbert Burns, Ian Gary, Rachmanov. That's, you could go, I bet you say that three. I bet you there's at least, I haven't got his record in front of me where you clearly have. I bet you there's at least another three top five Welterweights of the past five years in that that you would be like, yeah, no shit, who wouldn't lose to those? So he is, he he will all very accepting of a fight. Will never turn down a fight, which you have to give absolute props to. The problem is he loses the majority that he, uh, he takes on, but they're the, the big ones in the most, most recent years. He's obviously picked up victories against Phil Rowe and, and Daniel Rodriguez in between those three losses. But See, D-Rod's not... Again, D-Rod was getting a lot of hype at one point. You know, heavy-handed striker, Magni derailed that hype train. Um, so it, it, it could happen again, but yeah. I, Unlikely. I'm going, I'm going with Mike. I'm going with Mike. Yeah, big Mike, and he'll win by sub as well because uh, he seems to enjoy a sub. Only other one I was going to mention on the main card is we'll skip over the middleweight bout with Chris Curtis. Um, I would say it's not really worth discussion, but obviously we've got England's Arnold Allen as a number three ranked featherweight um, fighting the number nine ranked Mosavar Elevev. And this, this feels a little bit like a feed into the Wolves in terms of getting Allen back on the streak that he was before he lost recently. I think, Do you think? Uh, I think Elev, Elev, if that's the right way, is <laughs> underrated just purely from his name. He, if he's not Russian, he's probably he Jordan is, or Dagestani. So I would, I'm, you know me, I never ever bet against the Dagestani. I've said that plenty of times before, but Alan is very, very, very good. And I think, uh, was it his recent loss to Holloway? Holloway. Correct. So no, no shame whatsoever in 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 that. You know, one of the greatest uh, featherweights of all time. Uh, so, uh, but I, I would see Alan winning this, not necessarily comfortably, but if it goes if, if it goes to decision, he wins for sure, and he could easily knock him out. 
yeah, you, you're right. He's coming off the back of his only UFC loss. And uh, Max Holloway, that was one of those where you were really hoping that Allen could go to that next level. Holloway, it's a weird division because you've basically got everyone else. You've then got Holloway and then you've got Champ. And it, it doesn't really seem like that's going to change anytime soon. And we'll, we'll obviously revisit Holloway very, very shortly. Um, but Allen is a very good fighter. He's always shown that he's a very good fighter. Evloev is an up-and-comer. He's 17-0, and 0, I believe. Um, he has been impressive in his fights previously, but he's not shown any sort of you know, killer instincts. He's not shown anything to show that he's special or that he's going to be different to others. And the consensus is he's going to be very, very good against just about everyone. However, he's going to struggle against the top three fighters. And obviously, this is where the fight against Allen becomes a very, very big moment for him. If he can win, and if he can show his gas tank um, that he's, he's shown previously, I think he's gone the distance seven times uh, in his, his last uh, seven fights, which is, is no mean feat. But it shows he's not finished yet equally. Because he doesn't have that doesn't have that killer instinct. He will win either by decision or he won't win. Um, I, I think well, Alan is also very good, though. The problem you've got here, and let's be honest, is no matter what happens, let's say Alan comes out and starches him in the first round, depending Where does on he what go? happens in the next, who's, you know, we, I think we're both in agreement, and we'll come on to that because that's in February, is uh, Volk Tapura. We both, I think, would agree that we'd see Volk winning that again. Allen would be the, probably the next sensible challenger. He's going to get absolutely smashed by Volk. Volk is such yeah. head and shoulders above everybody else in that division. It just feels like everybody's fighting for the opportunity to take Volk on and either catch him on a bad day or slump as he gets older or wait for him to move up to 155 full-time. So it, it's one of those fights that it doesn't seem, in my opinion, hold a great deal of sway in the overall division because whoever wins, put them against Volk and they get destroyed. If, if Agreed, because you know me, absolutely love Volk and um, would always say that Volk's going to win. He could go up against Nganu and I'd still bat Volk. Um, I'm just that sort of uh, super fan. But Evelev basically has to win this for me. If he wins this, he can start looking at your, you know, Rodriguez, your Ortega, um, maybe Tapura, if Tapura comes off as we expect as a loser from Volkanovski. Um, obviously, it changes things and changes the complexion of the entire division if he doesn't, but it's an important fight for him because if he doesn't, Evlev then becomes a top 10 featherweight fighter who can't break into the top five. Alan, obviously, depending on what happens here, would we see a Max Holloway rematch? Would anyone really be interested in that? I'm not entirely sure. I agree in the sense that it'll be a very good fight, but it doesn't really lead to anything substantial for that division. Until um, Volk is no longer a featherweight, the division is locked down for me. Agreed. And I think we can call it there on that. I mean, 297 and, and 298 are both cards that are feel like they've been put together with you know a decent main and a decent co-main. They're not stacked in any way like 299 we've talked about. And we can come on to, to 300 shortly that's starting to come together. 
I feel like in between that, we've got to quickly run through the, the first event of 2024, which happened, which was a UFC fight night. Uh, again, I was down in Bournemouth for my sister's 40th birthday. So I'm going to give a shout out to my sister. Say happy birthday for that. Um, Anne Kalev in the uh, rematch from the de- uh, disqualified uh, fight that happened before. Uh, KO'd Johnny Walker in the second round. I don't know if you watched it. Um, so I, I've, got I've seen the knockout. Yeah, I've seen the knockout. It's quite a brutal uh, knockout as well. Um, you had Jim Miller showing again just that tenacity uh, submitted Gabriel Benitez in round three. Uh, and also we're going to come on to this, is announced to be the only person to ever fight on the three centennial cards. He's been calling for it, so he's been announced. He's got a fight on UFC 300. So his longevity, Miller, he might have a pretty mixed record. Again, gatekeeper would be undoubtedly the term, but to have been on 100, 200 and 300 is a fantastic achievement in amongst itself. Probably the surprise uh, result for me was Mario Batista uh, beating uh, Ricky Simon by decision because Simon is no joke. And um, that would definitely, I would have definitely would have guessed that Batista would have been the, the underdog uh, in that. So that was a, a surprising result, I would have said, um, from that. But again, hardly the most stacked of cards, was it? No. And other than watching the replay of the, or the highlights of the, the main event, I'm not even going to pretend that I, I stayed up to watch any of this. It's fight nights just come and go these days. And we've already talked about the oversaturation of MMA and, and the UFC at the moment. And I get there are some good fights on some fight nights, but the majority of which they're just put to the wayside and you sat there thinking, I can't wait for the next number of event, really. So let's get on to the real fucking big news then. And Hats off to you, because I believe in your outlandish predictions that you called it last week. One of them has only gone and been announced, and we were both talking about the quietness. But Justin Gagey, Max Holloway for 300 for the BMF. Proper, proper fight, is that? Hats Um, off to you for calling it. Uh, I'm going to give it to you because I didn't see that. I just didn't think Holloway would be considered for that. Uh, or they were given, you know, despite his fantastic run at featherweight, given his three losses to Volk, I just didn't see him giving him that. But I think that's going to be a massacre, if I'm honest with you. Well, if you remember the last time Holloway stepped up to lightweight, in fact, here's a question for you then. What was the last time Holloway, or what happened the last time that Holloway stepped up to lightweight? And can you remember when it was? No, I knew you were going to, now that you, the moment you started saying when, I was like, motherfucker, he's only done it once <laughs> before and he lost. And yes. I can't remember who it was against. But so it 2019. Didn't, it didn't it go well for him. No, it was Poirier and it was for the interim lightweight title at the time. But he, again, you got to give him props. And he was one of the only people that I would have seen on the roster, regardless of the weight classes and, and obviously that creates the issue that Holloway is inevitably going to have but he's the only one other than your McGregor maybe and that's a completely different kettle of fish who would be deserving of fighting for a BMF title obviously the weight class difference creates a, a massive issue and to step up to go against someone like Justin Gagey um, 
I mean, I wouldn't be doing it personally, but it's the eyes on the prize. And you said that if there was one title that you would be wanting to win, it would be the BMF. Would you be going up in weight to take on Justin Gage to try and take it off him? I mean, no, because I, <laughs> I, I value my I value my ability to walk. So I, I don't want to get my legs fucking kicked off like you're going to get against Gustin Gagey. But we talked about it before in terms of people on the roster that deserve to fight for that, what now has become sort of slightly iconic, you know, title that means nothing really, is nothing based on rankings, just who you are and your fighting style more than your record or anything else. Holloway is the only person that you, as you say, maybe even McGregor, given his recent losses, you couldn't really call him a bad motherfucker, but Holloway's got a better shout than, than that. So it's a right fight and it's a, it's a proper fight to have on 300. It, it definitely makes 300 a lot more appealing to the masses for me, but I can't see anything but an absolutely crushing Justin Gage. I mean, Holloway, one thing about him and, and proved against his fights against Volk is his toughness. He is so tough and he can take punishment. Um, so he's going to get a lot dished out by Gagey. We know that. So it wouldn't surprise me if it went, I believe it will only be three rounds. So I could see it going the distance whether Gagey can actually put him away. But Holloway is going to be limping out of that wing on crutches from those leg kicks of Gagey. Is it only three rounds? I think so. I think it's, uh, I think because it's not a title fight, I don't think it will be five rounder. Obviously, the only title fight we've got is Weili Zhang and Zhang. Uh, we, we did talk about it before the first all Chinese uh, fight ah, for, the, for the female. I tell you what, you're getting worse and worse. You're wrong again. It's five it? rounds. It's a proper so, it mean, that, that, five rounds. But <laughs> that, that puts rounder. it more in, that swings the pendulum slightly in Holloway's favour. But the only thing for that then, so that must mean the card I'm looking at. So obviously the title fight will be five rounds. That will be five rounds. But that must mean Oliveira uh, Takshurian is only three rounds because that's obviously not a title yeah. fight. Yeah, so, I think so. Uh, even though on the card, the, the, the details I'm looking at, that's headlining. But clearly... It I'm definitely will headline. It's yeah, not headlining. Um, I still think we're going to get um, our boy Leon. The yes, I, I definitely think. I think, as you say, I think that's the. I think I still feel like there's one, maybe two fights to come. The main card at the moment is three fights. Now they tend to be five, so I agree with you. I, I still think Leon um, Bilal, Bilal will be will be the headliner. And Any chance Marcus of Pereira be... and uh, Adesanya? Any chance? I would have said no, but given your Mystic Meg prediction of Gagey Holloway <laughs> uh, and that coming true, then maybe there's a, there's a, there's a chance. And all of a sudden, bam, you're talking, that's a fucking centennial card. It needs, um, it, because it's the centennial card, it needs a big headliner. As much as I just said that Bilal and Edwards will be at the top of the card, that's not a headliner for a centennial card, is it? And Pereira, Adesanya three for the title is at lightweight as well. That's a a proper centennial main event. So I, I get 100%. the feeling that that's what we'll see. I think he's, 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 Dane is definitely keeping something back. And as you say, what there's at least one, if not two to come. 
I mean, the only other thing, one thing I think that have been added since we last spoke are on the undercard. So Jim Miller, as we mentioned, uh, fighting at 300, has been announced against Bobby Green. Uh, Bo Nickel is uh, fighting Cody Brundage. So Bo Nickel getting a bit of exposure uh, and again, the chance to throw himself and build his, his profile by fighting on the Centennial card even more. He was very impressive young man. I've got to say he was on Rogan recently talking about his, how he trains, his, his strategy, how much effort he puts in, in terms of watching tape. I was very, very impressed with him as a young man. And he undoubtedly at some point in the future is going to be a champion. There's no Did doubt. Did you see his mind. odds to win this fight? Um, if I had to guess 10 to 1 on. Ten, well, 14 to 1 on. It's one of those where you're absolutely right. They're basically putting him on the card just to just put him on the card. 100% and, and just to smash someone. And yeah. another one, I mean, talk about, uh, I can't remember anyone fading as quickly as, as, as Cody Garbrandt. He's been announced against Deverson Figueroa. I mean, at one point, Garbrandt was an absolute murderer, you know, laying people out, held the title, and then went on a five or six streak, losing streak. Um, the decline from, from Garbrandt, whether he's just lost it, whether he just hit peak performance, whether he's not, his heart's not in it, he's not training as bad, but at a certain point, he was an absolute killer at 135. Um, and obviously, Figgy, we know, was the champ at one, uh, the, the division below. I think this will be his second fight. He fought before, didn't he? Went up fairly recently and had his first fight at 135. So, uh, 145, sorry, he was the champ at 135. Um, so, he's not getting fed an easy fight, but Galbrandt's trajectory downwards, I can't recall anything other than Anderson Silvers, but Anderson Silvers was when he was like 38, 39 and carried on fighting, whereas Garbrandt is probably only early 30s. So um, that one has been announced as well, but it's starting to get to come together nicely, given the shit we were projecting about it being a completely underwhelming card for the last couple of episodes. Just needs those last two. I think you're right. I think we get the two that we're discussing then you start seeing it as okay i accept it it's better than 299 as stacked as 299 is the only other one i'm gonna throw it out there because we have discussed it before but there is one man that could rival jim miller and have fought on all three centennial cards making a tremendous comeback any idea who that might be he's fought on ufc 100 and 200 uh has Lesnar fought on both? Correct. Is so it Lesnar? Lesnar is, is the man Brock himself. So do they announce for the just for the people, give us fucking Brock back to hit out of nowhere, bang, throw him back on 300. And that would, if they only announced Leon Edwards and not the other fight that we're talking about, that would go some way, I think, for, for uh, placating the masses by having Brock. Because who the fuck doesn't want to see that freak? In the fucking yeah, he, he literally is a freak. The only problem you've got, and I'm going to have to dash your dreams immediately, I think he's just about to return to wrestling to WWE, so I don't think he'll be available. Although, when he's been in wrestling, he's never really been a full-time wrestler. I think he comes back for, like, you know, the big Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and stuff like that, so he might have time for it, but whether 
the UFC will accept him doing that on the side and in the inverse, whether the WWE will accept him kicking the shit out of someone and, uh, in April, I don't know. It, it's, I think, a bit of a pipe dream, unfortunately. Dashing my dreams. But yeah, he would be the only other man that has a chance uh, to, to be able to say that he's fought on all three centennials. So final bit for uh, UFC from, uh, for me is... So this the ongoing lawsuit we talked about it last week, and these these documents as part of the disclosure process of the the court case uh, becoming unveiled. Did you see um, some of the text revealed between uh, Dana White and at the time? So this was pre Endeavor when Endeavor bought the Fatita brothers out um, of the UFC to own it. So uh, Lorenzo Fatita was the main kind of owner. Um, he's, he's got another brother, can't even remember his brother's name, but he was very much a silent partner. Um, at the time, this was talking about Dana talking to Lorenzo Fatita uh, about John Jones and how he was putting obstacles about money uh, and wanting more money in the road, uh, sort of blocking the road to the fight with Cormier. The exact text read, fuck that punk Lorenzo. He needs to know we don't need him or he will fuck us over more than he already has done. So showing that he has never been in Dana's good books, which I think we all know, despite him being the GOAT. Yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty much common knowledge, isn't it? Um, I mean, what can you say about it? I mean, nothing, but equally, like say you were to come into work tomorrow and you find out that someone goes to you, yeah, here's a text from your boss that said, Fuck Daryl, that motherfucker. We don't need him. You used to do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Not your boss anymore, mate. But um, (laughs) yeah, like it, it it would get under your skin, and it it, it's bound to cause some friction. And I can't imagine John James is particularly happy about it being coming out like that. Even though I'm sure he's not stupid and knows full well what Dana thinks of him. So, um, but I just thought that was worth. A little mention and I'm sure there'll be more to come uh in terms of these kind of disclosures as the court case continues but just thought it was worth a little mention seeing as we discussed it uh last week start with Henderson this week just because it's it's absolutely oh you want to go there straight away I, do I do I do because I was reading it and this is a prime example of the grass isn't always greener and it's lovely to see it because all of a sudden, following on from the uh, the summer of Saudi uh, double tap that we did a few months back last year, where we said, this is going to have a sell-by date. People are going to start changing their mind very, very rapidly. The culture is significantly different. All of a sudden, you're seeing Benzema. Oh, no. Is it, it, there? it it's there. even exactly. quicker than to the Chinese league did? What exactly. a fucking shame. Who the because... fuck wants to be out playing in the fucking middle of the desert in front of 800 people. So Henderson has gone from captain in Liverpool in front of 50,000 people at Anfield to crowds of 800 people. Now, you can't blame him on the on, on the monetary side. We've said this before. But equally, I think he was a complete prick in doing it in the first place. I mean, I think he, he, he jumped at the money. And funnily enough, my new firm... <laughs> The best thing about this is you're like this. So I was talking to my, my um, somebody at my new firm who has tax knowledge. 
all of that supposedly tax-free money he was getting, because he hasn't been out of the country officially for over two years, tax will become payable. So all of that, what he was seen to be massive wages, 300 grand tax-free he was getting, basically he's going to end up paying tax on it now. So fuck you, Jordan. I mean, he didn't deserve to be anywhere near the stature that he got anywhere. He's always been poor for me in terms of playing for England. He was pretty poor in terms of playing for Liverpool. I know other Liverpool fans might disagree, but he's never been a top quality player. So when you get an offer like this, I, I can understand why you jump at it in terms of the money. But and the fact that he's not getting any of it is is exponentially funny to me. I don't know anything about tax in that sort of avenue. Is it not that if he's out of the UK for two years, he would have been able to avoid paying tax on it? Or does it have to be out of Europe? I believe it's the UK. I own the guy that I was talking to about the tax, but I believe in terms of his residence, his fact that was part of a lot of what obviously a lot of players did when they went to Saudi was leave their families in the UK, which therefore means their residence remains the UK. So as I understand it, his family is still in the UK. Technically, therefore, his residence is the UK. Therefore, he effectively is going to Good pay luck, 50% yeah. tax on all Good. of those monies on that. So no shame from at all. Um, feel like he probably, you know, Ajax have had a bad season. They changed the manager and they picked up a lot. Obviously, I think they were 17th in the league at one point. Uh, worst ever start to a season and they're now up to fifth. I mean, let's be fair, he's going to a poor league and will certainly make a difference in that team. But if the argument that he was going to leave Saudi to play in a better league to try and make a chance of making um, the... Um, is it World Cup or Euros we've got coming up? I lose track. Um, you don't know. It's the Euros and I'm absolutely excited beyond belief. I've been counting. Isn't it like 300? No. 200 days till Euros? No, it's 100 days till Euros. 100 days today. He had to do something to get... It was no way he was going to get in the squad playing out in Saudi, was he? So, But equally, if he's playing for Ajax, uh, I feel like, you know, obviously Kane's made that move abroad. It's not going to affect Kane because he's playing for a top-notch team and smashing them in for Bayern Munich. Eric Dyer is an interesting one. Obviously joined him at Munich. Can't help but feel that that's his backup and he's definitely not going to be a starter. But question for you then, if Dyer suddenly becomes a starter, starts for Munich, they win the League and Cup as they always do and go really far in the Champions League. Does he put himself in the reckoning to not only be, make, make the squad, potentially start for England at centre-back? If you ever say anything as disgusting as that to me... On this podcast, we will end it and never... No, he doesn't because he's not good enough. He's not going to be a starter for Bayern Munich. He will be a bit part player and he certainly isn't of the quality that England should be looking at at centre-back because he's not a centre-back. I agree, I was asking you the question and that's the... No, no, you you clearly are a big fan of Eric Dyer. You know, you're... That motherfucker should not even be near the England team, let alone... Should be near Bayern Munich, never mind England team. They're obviously short. They've got injuries. They've brought someone in, haven't they, in terms of probably Keynes. I'm sure Shaw has had a word in the manager's ear, Tuchel's ear, and said, look, he's a, he's a good pro. You know, he'll do you a job if you need to. And again, again, in that the quality of that league, he will stand out and probably look a far better player than he is because he's not exactly up against top quality 
opposition when he does get called into play. But I can't see him being a starter unless they have a spate of injuries. But um, very good replacement, though, signing from what I, I haven't seen much of him. But the young Romanian lad that uh, Spurs have signed is very, very highly rated from Genoa, I believe. Yeah. Uh, he looked all right when he came on against Man United. He did very little, but that's basically because he wasn't on the pitch that long. But um, he's got that look about him with his ponytail where you think, oh, this guy might knock me out if I say something funny. A proper centre-back. Defender's defender. Um, and, and while we're talking then about Italy, we can't skate over the fact that poor old Jose has been sacked again from Roma this time. The sacked one. Yeah. I mean, he's consistently winning trophies where he goes. I mean, obviously, with Roma, he won the uh, Europa Conference League. Um, Tottenham, obviously, is an outlier because no one wins a trophy with Tottenham. Um, And he got fired the the game before the final, so you never know what could have happened. He could have won that Which is ridiculous, is that? With Man United, he won the, the League Cup and the Europa League and, I think, Community Shield. Chelsea, obviously, Premier League, League Cup. Madrid, La Liga, Copa del Rey. And his win percentages are surprisingly high, to be honest. His win percentage at Roma at 49.28 is the lowest win percentage that he's had since... Um, I can't pronounce them. Is it Unilo Deliera? Just before he went from them to Porto, at which it was 45%. So I can see him coming back to the Premier League, but I couldn't work out where he's going to go. I'll tell you I, I tell you where. I'll call it now, which would be ridiculous. And I feel like this is the name value alone. If Newcastle don't pick up mm. and the Saudis got a little good bit shout. bored... They could get rid of Howe and put Mourinho in. That would not That's surprise me in the slightest. Um, they love a name, don't they? They, they exactly. absolutely name value alone. Not and let's be fair. You know, ever he's been on a massive slide. You know, Porto, fantastic. Chelsea the first time, fantastic. You know, Inter, even Real, completely fantastic. From that point onwards, his career has been on a uh, won, won the Premier League. Style. With Chelsea the second time, don't forget, and the League Cup. So, and he won the Europa League. And they were the nowhere only... near as good, were they? Man, you no, he, but... when he started to get changing from the special one and this kind of chirpy personality to being a miserable bastard, and then it just went everywhere he's gone from there. It hasn't really worked out, has it? Spurs, Roma, it, it's it's gone dramatically downhill for him. You say it hasn't worked out. Spurs, yes, because but again, they're an outlier because no one's ever going to win a trophy at Spurs because they'll never win anything ever again. The two Spurs are. Um, but Roma win the Europa Conference League. Did he, did he not become the only manager in history to now have won? And admittedly, obviously, it's a fairly new trophy. The Europa Conference League, the Europa League and the Champions League. I feel like that doesn't deserve mentioning in terms of the <laughs> Europa Conference League. I mean, Jesus Christ, come on, man. Like, what are we talking about here? Someone that went from being one of the greatest managers of all time to then that. Like, I know it completes his cabinet in terms of winning all the trophies. I, I, I get that. But to be heralding that as an achievement, come on, man. Didn't Is look there a the, chance? Look, look at the competition. It was Bodo glimped. <laughs> you know, fucking, you know what I mean, Skijenji from fucking Moldova. 
like it's the conference league like no i'm not having that that that's a, a trophy worthwhile mentioning as a success is there a chance we were just talking about where he goes next and newcastle is a fantastic shout demon consider that and you're probably spot on there if he does come back to the premier league is there a chance depending on what happens this summer if england don't win the euros that southgate leaves and Mourinho joins probably 10 years too late, admittedly, but to a job that he's been linked with for a considerable amount of time. Would you see him as England boss? I could see it because of his previous achievements in England. I think the only thing I would like to think is that it's never quite worked out for the FA before when we've gone big on big name managers. Has it Sven straight away jumped to mind in terms of amazing managers by name and their previous achievements to what happened and they did for England. So I personally would say Newcastle is far more likely. And I think it's purely on name basis. And I think it's just the Saudis. They would chuck him a load of money um, and they would try to see if he could regain maybe some of that, that past glory, which he wouldn't, by the way. I think he would be a spent force. It wouldn't work out. But if I had to guess, that would be where I would be sticking my money on and going. When it comes to Newcastle as well, they're in big trouble, aren't they, in terms of the finances? There's there's rumours that they're going to have to sell a big name. Um, I would put my money on that being Bruno because there's... Kamara's been linked with 100 mil. 100 yeah, mil 100 mil. Real, uh, 100 mil release clause linked with PSG, Barca and Real. And, of course, they're going to have to balance the books. And, I mean, just while you're talking about that, we've obviously got um, Everton and Forest both facing charges this week again for financial fair play. So the more and more poorly won teams, it's starting to eke out. And I can't help but feel that Newcastle are the next on that hit list. We know City are on there. City are doing a fantastic job of, of, of dragging it out, probably because they've got the owners and the money they've got to be able to pay for lawyers to drag it out. Newcastle will probably be in that camp, if you ask me, that they've also got the ability to do that. But um, yeah, they're... they're probably on the borderline, I would have thought. You mentioned um, Forrest and Everton there. This is a bit egregious to me because the period that they're being charged with and we don't know what the punishment is. Of, well, of Leeds would have stayed up if they hadn't what broken the rules. Let me guess where you go with this. If you give the punishment, let's say they get 10 points deducted, as you would expect because of what's happened with Everton uh, previously this season, then Everton and Forrest get relegated and Leeds and Leicester stay up. So if you're looking at that as a, as a Leeds owner, I'd be thinking, you know what, I'm not having this. I'm suing the guy here because you've cheated to stay up, which is exactly what they've done. And I think Everton have been like, oh no, we've already been charged. I'm not, not accepting that. Whereas Forrest have been like, yeah, shit. Yeah, we, we, we probably did do this. Yeah. Uh, uh, oops. Uh, because they did. Got is there. Leicester, it's not their work, not really a concern for them because they're going straight back up. They're going off, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for them, they're probably not that bothered. Leeds, I could see. Um, I mean, just while well, we're talking about it, I mean, Saints, they're the ones for you now. I'll be honest, I think you're a playoff, so I think Saints will undoubtedly have steamed up and will take that second place. And I can't help but feel you guys are now fighting for the playoffs. I don't I think you say that, but second is out, out, of, out of reach the form that Saints is it 20 unbeaten for Saints? It can't say that it's out of reach because Saints will take it because they're not even second now. So how is it out of reach? They're only four but, points in front of us. 
They've closed the gap, though, in a ridiculous manner from where they were having they picked their game up. They, because they, they could fall in as well. Form, yeah. Form-wise, I'm sure they've probably got better form over the last 10 games, at least, if not 15, than Leicester. The only thing that's keeping Leicester top is their outstanding start. They've dropped off a bit. Southampton have just come up steaming up on the rails in terms of uh, what they've been doing. But, yeah, if, if we're, just if we're talking about it, I personally feel that they'll carry on going and those two will probably run away with first and second. And the best that Leeds can hope for is third. Don't, don't, don't look yeah, at me like that. I, I, I want Leeds to go up. The, the, the whole city has a different vibe when Leeds are in the Premier League. So I want, want them to do it. I just feel momentum is very much behind Southampton at the moment. And they are on an unbelievable charge. There's a long way to go, yeah. They are on a very good run. But in the same way that Ipswich were on a very good run at the start of the season, Leeds are yet to have that very good run. And the best teams in the league will have them. If Leeds have any hope of going up, they will have that at the latter part of the, se- of the season, which is the best time at the time to have it. You look at, is it Reading? Um, we're talking probably five, ten years ago, something like that, um, which is obviously a very different amount of time there. Let's say seven or eight years. And they went from just outside the playoffs to going on a ridiculous run and finishing with that like 100 plus points, which you could probably see Leicester doing this year. Um, but yeah, so when all said and done, plenty of time left. Leeds are still going up second, might even go up first, whatever we fancy. We'll take whatever we want. Um, there's rumours that Nantes go into West Ham. So your dad will be uh, interested in that one. Um, be chuffed, but... But I can't help but feel that would be a replacement. So does that mean that someone like Bowen is going? I mean, because they're all down... injured. Well, yeah, got poor, injuries at shout out to the old man he's still in hospital poor bastard he's been in there for three weeks now waiting now waiting for a skin graft but I was talking to him when I went down and visited him this weekend and I was saying about how amazing West Ham are doing the problem being is West Ham are almost in one of those positions a bit like Ajax often are that they're having such a good season that the bigger teams are going to come in and pill for those players the Could three us. that you would worry about Kudos Paqueta Bowen you said they're yeah. all having great seasons. You take them out of the team, suddenly they're probably lower mid-table uh, as opposed to the top six like they are at the moment. So that would be a ma- you know a massive concern for me if I was a West Ham fan. And uh, that was what my old man was saying is Paqueta, he's the one that he, he would be the most concerned about losing. And obviously City were linked with him. I'm not quite so sure they will now that De Bruyne is back and back with such a bang as well, with off the bench with his uh, fantastic cameo appearance. It was brilliant. Even in that little short period of time that he came on for, he just, he makes playing football look effortless. And I, I've... That pass. I mean, his goal oh. was good, but the pass for the winner, nothing. there's nothing on. You're like no. looking at it like, what, what, what's he seeing here? But you've also got to give a shout out to that, that Os- is it Oscar Bob? Oscar Bob, yeah, what, young Oscar what? Bob. What a finish. That that was about as close to Messi-esque feet as I've seen since Messi. That little couple of touches before he took it in was mesmerising. But the, the pass pressure from as well. De Bruyne, there was the, the no, absolutely nothing on for De Bruyne to see that. But that's the benefit of De Bruyne. His game's never been based on pace or power or fitness. It's how he sees the game, how he reads it, his class. So he can come straight back in like that and make an immediate difference which is a huge problem for Liverpool, despite us being two points clear still, now games equal. It was one of those games, I I, I, I was listening to it as I was coming back, driving uh, back, and I was just like, fuck. 
they get hard on the back as well. It's, the, it's done and dusted, isn't it, again? We, we've said this for the last few months, though, haven't we, in the sense that, yes, it looks like City had had a bit of a bad spell, and then we looked at their bad spell, and even after coming through that bad spell, they were still only four points behind top. Um, Arsenal obviously had it in their back of their mind where they're thinking, yeah, we're going to absolutely run through this league now because City have fallen off and Liverpool aren't at their best. And then we were saying all the way through, Haaland's picked up an injury. He's the best striker on the planet, arguably, other than Mbappe. So when he comes back, he's going to make a massive difference. But the difference maker is KDB because, as you say, his vision, his anticipation, everything about how he plays football is effortless. And he just struck. The the goal that he scored is one of my favourite goals of the season, obviously other than Patrick Bamford's, just because of the fact that he just walks forward. He just sees that there's a gap. He doesn't even hit it hard. No, it, it doesn't smash it. It does it. it, it it's so accurate, and you almost looking at it like, is that bad goalkeeping? Should that have gone? It's just so classy because he didn't hit it hard. It was just so accurate, and just knew exactly where the keeper was, where the gap was to go for, and just got it spot on. But that I, I personally would say his pass for the Bob goal was actually better than his goal itself because the, the moment he picks it up, you're looking, nothing is on whatsoever. But to see no. that pass, for Bob to make that run and expect the ball to be there, put on a sixpence for him, it was just mind-blowing quality. Mind-blowing quality. One of the best passes I've seen in, 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 in years. You kind of feel a bit sorry for Burnley, who they're, they're playing next week, because um, obviously going into that game, Burnley aren't in the best of forms. They go into the Etihad. If De Bruyne starts you can see it being an absolute cricket score. Now, obviously, things happen in football all the time that shock us and surprise us, but I wouldn't want to be the, the first team to play a City with De Bruyne finally starting and getting his flow back in. And he didn't look even slightly injured. He didn't look like he was out of breath. He didn't look like there was any problem with his legs. He looked absolutely fine. I think that the rest of the league is in trouble, unfortunately, for you. I can't disagree. Um, when he, him, him and Harlan get back, then that's when the race starts properly, doesn't it? Really, and um, we'll see the character of the other teams whether they can keep up with them and actually have the longevity to last it out and and stay with them, or whether they'll do what we suspect they've done and they've done for the last three years running, where they win every game in March and just blow a ten point gap out of nowhere and just sew it up before. Uh, the end of April, which is probably how I would see it ending. But, um, but so they should do, if you, if we're being totally honest. And the, the team they've got on paper, when their best team is out, it's the best team in the league by a long way, if not the world. We were going to start with the AJ and Garnu card that has just been announced because they, the the undercard has come out and there's a, a few good fights in there, but. As we've been doing this podcast, there's been another fight that's been announced. Uh, it's your boy in Bournemouth, uh, CBS. And I feel a bit sorry for him. Um, he's going to be fighting Reactpor for the WBO Cruiserweight world title. And I, I don't think it's going to go well for him. I mean, it's long been rumoured. Um, obviously, big CBS fan, being a, a local lad. But again, he is one of those fighters for me that's not going to breach that elite of the elite. And I think Riyak Poor is 
not miles above him, but I definitely think he's a level above him um, and would, would likely win that. But no, I hadn't seen that. So that's just literally just been announced now. Has literally, it? yeah. Ben, ben Shalom's just said it. There's no date on it. He's just basically said that the next fight between those two will uh, will definitely go ahead. They won't be fighting anyone in between, which is the fight that you want to see as a British boxing fan because those um, all British clashes are always filled with a little bit more ferocity and a little bit more spice. I don't think either of those fighters are someone, you know, like a Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder who's going to say this, that and the other. And they'll be a very, very respectful, but it'll be one of these where there's going to be fireworks and that doesn't go the distance. Not a chance in hell does that go the distance. Um, move on to the Nganu AJ card then, because that's been fully announced in terms of the main fighters. We've still got some to be announced in terms of who they're fighting. And one of the funniest ones that's been announced is Roman Fury. Did you see this? I did not know. Is this another Fury brother? I don't even know. I've never even heard of him. Is he a Fury he's, brother or cousin, some distant gypsy relation to our, our boy, uh, the Gypsy King? I believe he's Tyson Fury's brother. Um, he's an unbeaten fighter. He is 3-0. and He's in the cruiserweight division. And he just kind of has been stuffed into this card. And it doesn't deserve to be, to be announced, on a card. I see, though. To be announced. Yeah, he I mean, just, he's not got a, a, an opponent as of yet. But it's not going to be one that fills you with excitement. It's not going to be a big cruiserweight fighter. And as I say, he's fairly new. He's only had three fights. Um, and obviously, as you would expect, none of them against big names. He's only got one KO to his name as well. He snuck onto the card, which is, is very funny. Uh, the big one for me, and I don't know what Deontay Wilder's doing. Is he skulking off? Is he taking some time out? Big Bang Zhang versus Joe Parker, and fair play to Joe Parker because he's did I not on call this fight. one? Is this not one that I called that I said this is this is what I thought? Would I thought you happen. said that Wilder and Parker. I, I, I'm sure I said Zhang and Parker because I, I think Wilder Wilder's wants a little bit of time away and probably to gather himself and work it out. But I'm sure to be fair, the rest of the undercard that's been announced. Ray Vargas versus Nick Ball, Mark Chamberlain versus Gavin Gwynn doesn't jump out at you as 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 ones that are going to sell you pay-per-views. But when you've got AJ and Garnu and Big Bang Jan Parker, I don't really feel like you need much else on the on the undercard. They're the only two I'm going to be watching. Well, Ray, Ray uh, Vargas is uh, definitely worth watching. He's the um, featherweight champion of the world at the moment. He's the WBC uh, featherweight champion. And, and Nick Ball's okay. He's unbeaten. He's going into that. He's obviously a British fighter as well, so he's going to get a lot of support from, from British fans. Um, the main two fights are clearly what everyone's bothered about. To put on Parker and Big Bang Zhang, again, I've got to give props to Parker because the fights he's accepting recently... and. Pretty much ever since um, the, the loss to AJ, he's been on a little bit of a quest to find himself and to come back into the forefront. Obviously, he's been knocked out as well in that period of time. But Big Bang Zhang is a very impressive fighter. He's obviously got the one loss on his, his record, which is arguable. I don't think he deserved to lose that fight um, against Hergovic. I thought he had won that quite comfortably, to be honest. But this is one of these that I think makes him a mandatory challenger for, I want to say it's the WBC 
but I, I couldn't confirm that off the top of my head. It's, it's definitely a, a mandatory whoever wins it. And if Parker wins it, you, you can't really say anything about him in terms of his, his comeback. To beat Wilder every round, if he then beats Big Bang Zhang, I'd be sat there thinking, you deserve it, lad. He on definitely doesn't hand, duck people, does he? I mean, no, he say, definitely doesn't. He's got, he puts his balls on the line and when, you know someone calls and says, fight this person that no one else really wants to fight, he'll, got, he'll, go on then. he'll, throw, his, <laughs> he'll throw his hat into the ring. So, yeah, in terms of balls on the on the man and the kahunas, you definitely can't fault him. But um, I saw that there was a, a meme. Uh, you remember that episode of South Park where they all try to give themselves testicular cancer so they can get some free weed and... Randy's Is that why Randy's carrying in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> That's what they were saying, Joe Parker's like, just walking around like that. But yeah, as I say, it's it's impressive and fair play to the man. Um, if he does win, he deserves a title shot because his recent fights have been um, difficult to say the least. Totally agree. You can't fault any, as you say, but anyone who's prepared to take on someone, uh, a challenger like that, and just say, right, yeah, give it to him, give it, give, give, give me him. But equally, as you say, the winner of that has to surely be a mandatory for one of them. Is it, was it the IBF we were talking about before? I don't think it's one of the. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's but... the IBF. I, I think the IBF becomes vacant with the uh, rematch out. So when the the two. Um, Tyson Fury and Usyk have their rumoured rematch clause, which I'm sure is is definitely in place. The IBF becomes vacant, I'm pretty sure. And then um, the rumours were that AJ would take on Hergovic, and that's still apparently the idea because he said that he's going to be fighting three times again this year, as he did last year, which is um, difficult to imagine for most heavyweights. So if he does do that, then fair enough. But if he takes on Nganu, beats Nganu, if he takes on Hergovic, wins the IBF, you would think his next fight is going to be for the, the undisputed title. Of which, have you seen the new um, boxing undisputed belt that they've announced? I have not, no. It is horrendous. It literally is a belt that just has the big lettering of undisputed across it. Looks like a wrestling belt. Um, it have, you'd, it. you'd at least expect it to have like each of the organizations it does it does i think on them. Well, i was gonna say that would make sense to me that each of the separate organizations emblems is on it and it looks ridiculously over the top and gold with fucking diamonds on it and all that kind of shit you know uh given some of the ridiculous belts they've made like the what was the one we talked about that the best ridiculous one the that, was it Canelo fought for or the... Yeah, the, there was like whatever, the... The Mexico Day, whatever fucking <laughs> bullshit, like ridiculous one that they come up with. But um, yeah, um, good card though. Look, really looking forward to it. And I think well, obviously it's still a little way away, the 8th of March. So there's plenty of time for maybe more fights to be announced. And we'll certainly cover the main two events in a lot more detail uh, as we get close to the card. Yeah, just before we end it, I've just sent you a picture of it. Just have a look on uh, on your phone. This is the, and we'll put a picture of this on uh, Twitter as well, which I'm sure a majority of you've already seen it. But that that is genuinely the undisputed heavyweight belt that they are having. Um, it will be announced and awarded to the winner. It looks awful, doesn't it? It literally looks like a wrestling belt. 
Well, not, it looks like a child's made it because it just <laughs> basically just says a big un. Like if you were to say to a, like a five year old, what would you want on the undisputed belt? You'd probably just say massive letters that say undisputed. Like, why is it red? Know, why is like, it red? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I like the way it seems to point out. All the, it's a good photo of all the different bits of it. So definitely post that picture because that's uh, uh, an interesting picture. But yeah, it looks horrendous. It's certainly no BMF belt, is it? Let's be fair. No, and and I get the idea that the BMF belt has started all this. So I, I definitely your belt. One hundred percent started from the BMF. Let's let's bring in some nonsense belts just for the sake of it that pull people into fights for a belt. The Riyadh belt. There's the no, UK there's no belt. doubt. As you said, there's no doubt. You're one hundred percent right that that the UFC have a lot to answer for in some ways <laughs> that they started this with, uh, with the BMF, but I'm not hating on the BMF. You know, my love of it. It's, it's the screensaver on my phone and has been ever since the fight was announced. It won't change. I fucking love the whole, that whole principle and the belt itself. So it, I'm not it's hating also on his, that. Um, display picture on WhatsApp and has been the entire time since I've known Ian. So he, uh, he will never say a bad word about the BMF. I, who, I, 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 I'd rather be the BMF champion than the actual champion because who does it? I, imagine the imagine how big your bollocks must feel walking into a shop and someone says, hey, "Aren't you Daryl Smith? Aren't you the bad motherfucker champion?" And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's me." Just give him a little nod, like, "Yeah, that's me." You just walk around with it, wouldn't you? You just go into like. Tesco. Every mate, not not right. The thing is, I wouldn't wear it around my belt because I think that's a bit. I just wear it over my shoulder. But yeah. everywhere I went, over my shoulder, I'd have it with me. I'd sleep with it a hundred percent. I mean, seems a better place than any to uh, to end it very very quickly before you start talking about what you'd do to her. When we say sleep with it, I feel I feel oh, well. I should clarify that I would sleep with it <laughs> over my shoulder as opposed to shag it. <laughs> the clarification was definitely needed there. Uh, Thanks as always for listening and we'll speak to you next week.